this week around the AFC and NFC West in the railroad city of Indianapolis. Both the Las Vegas Raiders and Indianapolis Colts tried to keep their playoff hopes alive. But what did Gardner Minshew and the Indianapolis Colts say to the god of death? Not today. Holding off the Raiders in the final minutes, the Colts stay at the number seven seed in this playoff picture. Colts 23, the Raiders 20. In Kansas City, we see the Chiefs take on the Cincinnati Bungles for a potential playoff spot. As the clock is about to strike midnight, Patrick Mahomes strikes lightning as he and the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Cincinnati Bungles 25-17. Holy shit, the birds were flying in this next football game boom in the city that loves you back. The Arizona Cardinals travel to take on the Eagles and won the game. Huh? What? Yes, but it doesn't fucking matter that Kyler Murray has his Arizona Cardinals offense humming. Could the Eagles be in trouble heading into these NFC playoffs? Cardinals, 35. Eagles, 31. We differ to Seattle as the Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Seattle Seahawks in the battle of mid-quarterbacks boom. Geno Smith tries to be elite as he was at West Virginia, but Mason Rudolph says, I'm not getting a helmet swung in my head this time as the Steelers win 30-23. to I don't feel like I need to talk much about this next one except that in D.C., The San Francisco 49ers took on the Washington Commanders, and Brock Purdy was back to his MVP runner-up form, tossing two touchdowns. The 49ers lock up the first seed in the NFC and get a first-round bye in the playoffs. 49ers, 27. Commanders, 10. In the battle of the Big Apple, well, not really, boom, it was L.A. versus New York, but the Rams... Led by Matthew, I throw two interceptions, Stafford. Take on Tarod, I am a career backup Taylor. And the Rams and Sean McVay roll to a win. 26-25. Today's episode of Out of Office Bros. College football playoff semis, full season recap, Broncos recap, and Coach Prime episodes four and five. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Out of Office Bros. Let's hit it. See, I got it there. It is your boy D Train along with my co-host, Mr. Scotty L. How are we doing today, pal? Well, uh, D-Train, New Year's must still be hitting me as I uh, miss the music fade-in on that intro there, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying our best here. We're a two-man operation. We, we handle everything here at Out of Office Bros to keep your ear holes entertained, and uh, we're trying. We're trying. That's all right. It's all right, man. We, uh, we uh, you know, starting 2024 off with a bang. Happy New Year's to all of you Ooblers out there. Uh, looking forward to see whatever what happens for everybody this year, uh, particularly with us here at Out of Office Bros. So, Scotty L, what a couple 
what a good weekend of football we had here. Um, so, so I just felt like I was just, just had so much football that I was able to watch. And as I've said before, there's a finite number of football games I have in my lifetime. So I am soaking this up every single minute of it, every single minute I had a chance to watch TV. I was watching football. Yeah, man. I mean, since we were last with our Ooblers here, there was just football after football and great football after great football played. And there was also the Broncos versus the Chargers, which I wouldn't classify as great football, but it was football. Mm-hmm. So that for that makes it great in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I had such an incredible weekend of just watching football. Yes, yes. Well, let's dive into the, uh, I mean, the the big day. Monday, January 1st was a, is a huge day every single year. We have our New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, mm-hmm. Kicked everything off with the Relia Quest Bowl where number 13 LSU took on the University of Wisconsin. And uh, this one was a fun football game. This one was interesting. LSU without Jaden Daniels, who is preparing for the 2024 NFL draft, uh, was able to top Wisconsin 35 to 31. Yeah, I mean, something that honestly I would expect, um, just given the talent that's on these teams from a 2D perspective, you know, Wisconsin, they're still breaking a new head coach in. They, they had an okay year. It was, they were, I mean, what, they were a 7-5 team going into this bowl game. LSU should have, in my eyes, run away with this game. But unbelievable game for the entirety to it. It came down to the last quarter where LSU was finally able to get that go-ahead touchdown. And, God, that was a hotly contested game at 35-31. But what a way to start off the weekend. That that got me going right away at, what was it, like a 10 a.m. kick, 9 a.m. Yeah. kick? Yeah. That was, was a real way to start. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then we go to the Fiesta Bowl where Oregon kicked the shit out of Liberty. Um, Bo Nix, for some reason, played in this football game, tossed up five touchdowns before exiting uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Oregon won 45-6. to six. Yeah, that's a, that should be too – that was to be expected, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know anyone who was really taking Liberty there. Unless you were taking liberty with the points, which Oregon still covered very easily. You know, I, I don't get why Bonex played. I, I really don't. It was a meaningless bowl. I, yes, it's the Fiesta Bowl. Okay, great. But nowadays the Fiesta Bowl really doesn't mean much. Right. Why, it will next year. Is, it will next year. But why is Bo Nix, who is a, you know, first, second round quarterback somewhere in there, why is he playing in this game against Liberty? where he could get hurt, but, you know, Dan Lanning had to uh, go out and be a Dan Lanning and try to flex on a school that was just way overmatched given the Nike dollars. 145 to 6. I mean, hell of a performance from Bo Nix, 363 with five tutties. Bucky Irving, that kid's real out of the running back position. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's not much to say about this. It's a Power 5 team that had most of their starters playing. Yeah. Against a G five school that you know had a good that had a good year. Had had a great year. But at the end of the day, you you just see the overall difference between a true power five blue blood and a G five hopeful here. This is wasn't Boise State versus Oklahoma. There were no yeah. fireworks this year. So good for Oregon. You guys can have the like the 
what is it, Consolation National Championship, should uh, Washington go on and win, and then you guys can battle it out for being the biggest cucks in the world. <laughs> uh, then we moved on to the Citrus Bowl, where this one was, uh, I mean, almost as much of a shellacking. Just the SEC showing that they are dominant um, against the kind of middling Big Ten teams here, where t- uh, Tennessee beat Iowa 35-0. to zero. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't watch much of this game because I think no. I watch- this was the one. This was the one I decided to do something else. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I mean, like you know, the Wisconsin LSU game was on at this time, kind of wrapping up, yeah. and you had Oregon Liberty, which at the start looked like it was going to be interesting with Liberty driving down on their first. I mean, their first drive. First they possession. Yeah, it was like yeah. okay, uh, this like, this could be interesting. Liberty might belong here. Yeah, yeah, and watching I was. Offense is just painful. I mean, it is torture. I don't know anyone who would subject themselves to that willingly. Um, did you see the stat about Iowa that came They're out 60, after this game? The 60 passing yards or no? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be high on the season, I think, for Iowa. But <laughs> in their games against top 25 opponents all season, they scored a total of zero points. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Iowa's offense is atrocious. Um, I mean, honestly, let's be real. Big 10 offenses in general outside of maybe Ohio State mm-hmm. and Michigan, Big 10's offenses are atrocious in, in general. So I get, I get it. But yeah, zero points combined on the year. Wow, wow, wow. wow. Over the Iowa uh, offense against top 25. The... Uh... The big news that kind of came out of that one, too, is that Joe Milton, uh, the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Volunteers, also did not play as he prepares for the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, but freshman quarterback Nick uh, Nico Imaleva, I believe is how it's pronounced. Oh, he, well done. <laughs> he, um, five-star recruit, was um, – God dang it! What's the coach for Tennessee? Uh, Josh Josh Hoople. Uh, he was his prize recruit uh, coming out of last year, and he stepped in and played a decent game. 151 uh, passing yards, went 12 and 19 with a tutty. Uh, he also uh, ran the ball 15 times for t- a total of 27 yards with three touchdowns. Yeah, kid's going to be a problem in the SEC moving forward. I think he's a he's got great talent. He was five star recruit, number one overall quarterback in that class for a reason. So yeah, I'm excited to watch how his career develops. Absolutely. Then the two big games, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, were some of the best college football games I've seen in recent memory. Uh, We'll start with the Rose Bowl where number one Michigan took on number four Alabama and Alabama took Michigan to OT. Yeah, unreal football game. Um, Man... The, the granddaddy of them all proved to be a phenomenal game. And credit to Michigan, they, they stuck with it. They they were down going into the fourth quarter, and, you know, they came back. Um, mm-hmm. Or no, they Alabama took the lead late in the fourth quarter, and Michigan still drove down the field to score. I was very impressed by the play of J.J. McCarthy against this Alabama defense. Um it was really interesting to watch Michigan really change their offensive scheme for this game. All year they were running heavy out of a uh, 12 personnel. So one running back, two tight ends. And 
this game, they, they got away from that. They were running pretty frequently out of 11 personnel, which was really interesting to me that this late in the season to see someone like Jim Harbaugh go away from what's been working on the biggest stage when you have a lot to prove. Keep in mind, Michigan had lost the last three or two years in, in the college football playoff right? in the first round. Like you had everything on the line here and they go out and they completely change their offensive scheme and it, it kept Alabama guessing. It mm-hmm. was it was an insanely good performance from Michigan. And from Alabama's side, you know, McClellan, their running back dude is a beast. That dude's unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I love the Alabama defense. Um I think that, you know, that that's kind of the unfortunate part is Alabama's defense was electric to watch that game, in my opinion. I, I thought that while they gave up some big plays, they were stout the vast majority of that game. And it, it sucks for them that Milrow and the offense really couldn't get it going at all. But, man, what an epic, epic Rose Bowl from these two teams. Yeah, yeah. The, the surprising part for me on this one was that they that they had kind of changed everything up, but then at the end they went both teams went to what has worked for them all season long. Yeah. So they, so they so like uh, Michigan gave the ball to Blake Corum in overtime, and he took it to the house. Michigan goes up by the seven points, um, and then Alabama gets their chance to score, and they 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 put it in the hands of. Um, Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow. Thank you. I wanted to say Milton for some reason. Um, and unfortunately for Milrow, he had a low snap. Probably, you know, they were on the one, two yard line, got a low snap. Obviously, that's going to slow you up by about a half a second. He still gets the ball, starts to try to run it into the end zone and hits the leg of one of his offensive linemen. You just you feel for the kid because it's just like one of those plays on fourth down where it's like, oh, man. Am I happy yeah. that Michigan won? Yes. <laughs> I I wasn't. I was actually pulling for Bama that game as hard as that is to say. I, I just can't root for Jim Harbaugh in good conscience with everything that's come out this year. But I, I seriously wonder what could have changed had that snap been good. Yeah. Like, I, I almost feel robbed as a college football fan that we didn't get more of that game because that, and I know you, that was your brand of football. That was a defensive yeah. battle the whole game. You know, it was a low scoring affair. The over did hit, but just barely. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I, I, I can't be more excited about how that game went. And I also can't be more disappointed than by how that game went. And what worries me coming out of this game is do the Broncos look at J.J. McCarthy now in the draft? Right, because he'll be there. I, he'll be there I, around I there. I don't want him. I don't want him. Mm-hmm. There are too many other good quarterbacks available in this draft that if you're going to reach on J.J. McCarthy in the first round, it's not going to go well. You're not going to have a good time. And that's what worries me coming out of this game. But credit to Michigan. They had a great game. Credit to Jim Harbaugh if he wasn't stealing signs, although 
supposedly Connor Stallions was in the crowd. Well, he that's was what I was. I was literally just going to ask that. I was like, where do you think Connor Stallions was? Just sweating somewhere. He he was in the Rose Bowl. He was pictured with. Um, he was on a former Michigan linebacker's Instagram story, sitting huh. next to him in the stands. I want to know if there was some funny business there. Not a good look. Not a good look to have that gentleman near your team right now. Yeah, Um, no. Well, speaking of quarterbacks that could be available (laughs) for the Denver Broncos, let's move to the Sugar Bowl where the Washington Huskies. Woo! Purple rain, baby. Purple <laughs> took, uh, took on the Texas Longhorns and won the game 37 to 31. Michael Penix Jr. put on a show last night. Dude, I have been a Penix guy this entire season. He should have won the Heisman. I, I will stake my flag right now that Michael Penix is the deserving Heisman winner. Mm-hmm. What he did last night was surgical. Yeah. I, I mean, the anticipation this guy throws with, the velocity on his ball, his deep ball, just everything about this guy as a pocket passer impresses me. He makes the right reads consistently. He's able to dice up a defense. He knows how to get it to his weapons. I mean, he threw for 430 yards on a a team that next year is an SEC team. Right. And has a good pass rush, has a good secondary, has, I mean, really athletic linebackers. And he made them look worse than the Oregon Ducks defense. Mm -hmm. He did. He is incredible. And this was a, it's funny that these two games coincided because they could not be more different. This was a highly offensive firepower game versus Michigan Bama, which was such a defensive battle. And Michael Penix just comes out, outduels the highly touted Quinn Ewers in an all-time Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah. This uh, Michael Penix's 430 passing yards ranks fourth in the college football playoff history, trailing only Mac Jones in 2020 and then two Joe Burrow performances in 2019. Um Obviously, we both know that those two gentlemen went on to win the national title when they played like that. Yeah, I mean, if I, I am a betting man, I don't know what the bookmaker, what the odds makers in Vegas were thinking. Uh, they had Texas favored to win this game, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, little did they know, or apparently they forgot, that this was a Pac 12 team. And it was dark out. Mm-hmm. You don't bet against the Pac-12 after dark. You <laughs> it's that West I, Coast bias, man. Dude, they hate the West Coast. I don't get it. But Washington, I, I think Washington beats Michigan for the national trial. I, I'm going to have to dive into the game a little bit more. Um, I mean, the true winner out of all of these games is the Big Ten. Because they yeah. have, they're technically two teams represented in the college football national championship. I hate that so much. <laughs> I don't know if anybody like, is, has, I mean, people have obviously probably picked up on that, but yeah, I mean, it that way, God, just such a depressing thought. Like yeah. the, 
we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast already that the Pac-12 deserved to go on for certain reasons, not because leadership, our leadership was terrible, which is why USC and UCLA decided to implode the conference and everyone else had to find a home except for Wazoo and Oregon State. Sorry, guys. It, it just sucks to see that we finally could get a Pac-12 national champion and it's the last year of the conference. Right. But what I'm wondering is, you know how conferences get that share of the money when a team wins a national title or yeah. when they win a bowl game? Does that go to the Pac-12? Because it technically, will. Okay, yeah, because then every Colorado fan should be rooting heavily for Washington. Absolutely. Because we'll get an end-of-the-year bonus off of that. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it will because it technically they're not leaving the conference until uh, the end of the semester in May. Yeah. So, so I think we would get a bonus in theory. Yeah. But either way, man, Washington is just you, – you, you think that they have holes. You think that – they can't keep it going like they have been, but they just come out and win. And they keep winning. Kalen DeBoer, yeah. Kalen DeBoer, man, what a what an unbelievable coach. So what an I, unbelievably good coach. I kind of want to talk about the end of this game because it was dramatic. <laughs> it, was. it was unnecessarily so. Unnecessarily dramatic. Yeah. Um, the the Washington Huskies had a chance to ice the game, but then their running back Dylan Johnson. Uh, had an injury which stopped the clock in the fourth quarter. Um, the so obviously Washington had to punt it, where, whereas they could have iced it. And then uh, Ewers connected with one of his receivers on a it, it, one receiver caught like three or four balls, I think, on that final drive. Um, that set up basically where they had three shots at the end zone with with enough time left on the clock. Um. That play that the on uh, the very last play the that the corner made for Washington was textbook. He he could not have played that. Could better. not have played that better. He didn't get there early. He didn't get there late <laughs> to to let the touchdown in. Uh, he was there right as the ball got there and was able to just kind of boop knock the ball yeah. out of the corner of the end zone. And credit to him for the for the smart play. How many times have we seen a corner try and make the hero play and go for the pick? Right. Instead of just doing what he did, and that's batting it down. That, mm -hmm. That's the smart, that was the right play, that is textbook. Unbelievable play, but play calling from both DeBoer on that final offensive drive and Steve Sarkeesian on their final drive, which, which could have won them the game, was abysmal. Yeah. I mean, Sark, those, those three plays leading into that fourth down play, I, I have not seen such poor play calling. That was awful. And, and, and you don't know like if it's, if it's like option routes or something that the wide receivers were just like not picking up what they should be doing. But yeah, it just, it didn't look like the types of play calls that you would expect from a team that has put themselves in this position in the college football playoff. It no, is not at all. Not at all. And Quinn Ewers, man, I, I don't know what it is, but those final four plays, he just seemed kind of aloof to me. Like he, he wasn't upset. He wasn't 
he, he just didn't seem like he was playing in this game to go to the national title, if that makes sense. Right. Like his body language, his reactions, you know, he short armed to throw on, I think it was second down, a little wheel route to the running back. Mm-hmm. Just a terrible ball. It was, it was a and, lot of check downs that he had. He only had, uh, out of all of his completions leading up to that final drive, only nine of the passes went to wide receivers. Ooh, you don't love that. Mm-mm. You don't love that. I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, Texas is interesting because they, they're they the drop a bag school, right? Them and Texas A&M, both school, both of the power five schools in Texas. They drop a bag, they get who they want. And, you know, Washington, they I'm sure they have bags to drop, but those kids just seem to play with a lot more fire, a lot more heart. And they're not as highly rated as Texas is when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint. Mm-hmm. Washington's not competing with Texas for these five-star kids. Like it, it's, you know, it, it's just a different brand of football. Like yeah. this Washington team seems a lot more blue collar. They, they work really hard. You know, Michael Penix Jr. He was not a highly touted uh, recruit coming out of high school. He was actually originally committed to the university of Tennessee and then, Jeremy Pruitt, who was a failed tech coach at Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, said he didn't want him. So that's how he ended up in Indiana, where he first met met up with Kalen DeBoer. And when DeBoer eventually got the Washington head coaching job, he gave a quick call to Michael Penix coming off of injury. Mm-hmm. And those two just have magic between them. It, it well, is what it is. And and experience, just experience could win out and 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 age, I guess, too, because Michael Penix is twenty four years old and Quinn Ewers is twenty. Yeah, I mean that that absolutely plays a role, right? But I, I just would have expected more out of Quinn Ewers, who was literally a perfect five star. He was one point zero 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 on the rankings. This kid was rated higher than a Travis Hunter, who obviously not same recruiting class, but that just goes to show, like. You know, does Quinn really live up to the billing that he was given? I I haven't thought that throughout his college career. I think he's been more of a game manager. He's got he's that guy that's got a really high floor but a really low ceiling, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know Michael Penix Jr. may have a lower floor, but I I would ride with that dude into battle at any point. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, very very fun weekend um i think that we're going to do a preview for the michigan washington game coming up here is there uh is a line out yet for those game for that game i'm sure it is guess the line is four and a half ah (laughs) i was gonna have you sorry but there no that's okay i've got it pulled it up okay come on man i'm a i'm a gambler i already know that line yeah but But congratulations is interesting yeah what is it 55 and a half. That's hitting. That over's hitting. I I think it will. But Michigan's defense is good. Yeah. They're a very quality defense. Their front seven is insanely good. I'm curious. It's going to be a fun game, and I think these are the two best teams. And real quick, before we move on from this, if there happens to be any Florida State fans listening – the committee got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I saw, there were players from Florida State tweeting about Alabama 
losing in this game. First off, the fucking audacity you dudes have. Like, I'm sorry, but your second stringer against Michigan would not have done anything. He would have thrown for negative yardage somehow. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what you're thinking saying that, you know, one of their defensive linemen put out, they ain't deserve that shit. Uh, they're like their kicker put out pretty poetic. If you ask me, hashtag go Knowles. One of their players put out difference between earned and given. And then another one, this is why Bama shouldn't be in it. That was DeMarcus Walker, former Bronco who put out, this is why Bama shouldn't have been in it. And then Jordan Travis with the face melting emoji. Like the facts are, if you had Jordan Travis, yes, you probably, you guys would have been in the college football playoff. You probably would have gotten waxed. And it, 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 it's irrelevant without Jordan Travis. You guys played yeah. a terrible strength of schedule. I mean, literally the best team on your on your schedule was rated like the 35th best team in the country, statistically speaking. Right. Not according to the voters, but statistics, which you can't lie. To, numbers don't lie. Well, and then, and then a very early game against LSU. Yeah, which LSU finished the season ranked 13th and got taken down to the wire against a very mediocre Wisconsin team. Right. Like, let's not sit here and pretend that Michigan State still deserved to be in this. They, or Florida, Florida State. State. Yeah. Not Michigan State. Well, they didn't deserve it either. <laughs> but any Florida State fans, I doubt we have any on this pod because we're such a prime heavy podcast, but just shut up. Yeah. Just shut up. You guys didn't deserve to be in it. Play a harder schedule, and you know, sorry that your quarterback got his leg broken. Like, yeah. genuinely, that sucks. But it's the way of well, sports. And congratulations, Washington. We've been we've been heavily favoring Washington this entire season on this season one of Out of Office Bros. Uh, first Pac-12 team to win a college football playoff game since its very first year in 2014 when Oregon did advance to the um, national title game. But it's exciting. And we're going to see between what the Wolverines and the Huskies uh, are going to come up with next week. Well, let's move on to uh, the Denver Broncos. So the Broncos game should have been shouldn't have been as close as it was. Um, and ultimately the game that really mattered that we needed to be paying attention to was the Kansas city chiefs versus the Cincinnati Bungles. Uh, as Scotty L mentioned on our rundown, the chiefs did defeat the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, that, that game came down to the wire as well. Um, and once that game was over, whatever happened to the Broncos didn't necessarily matter anymore. That was the only chance that we had of potentially making the playoffs. Um, but the Jarrett Stidham era in Denver did get off to a 1-0 and start um, as the Denver Broncos beat the Los Angeles Chargers 16-9 to at home. Yeah. Um, man, I... I... I, I don't know even what to say about this game because it, it it was irrelevant in the landscape of football. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, like it, it's big to get a win. Um, shout out Shalom Sharp. That would make eight wins. You know what that means, Zooblers? 
Can't wait for that. But I, I wasn't I wasn't really impressed by Stidham. No. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but Well, so the reason that they that they decided to do this this switch by benching Russell Wilson and move to Jarrett Stidham was to get a little bit of spark on that offensive side of the ball. And I wouldn't exactly call the offense sparked. <laughs> no. Um the the big play that ended up happening was uh, Jarrett Stidham made a, it, I mean, kind of like I had mentioned on the last podcast, he threw to a ball or he threw a ball to a spot on the field that we weren't hitting when Russ was the quarterback and uh, found little Jordan Humphrey for like a 11 yard gain was going to easily get the first down. But then um, little Jordan Humphrey decided to break about five tackles, do a spin move, and then jet to the corner of the end zone for a 54 yard score. That was awesome. And also the difference in this football game. Yeah, that was an incredible play by little Jordan Humphrey. Um, credit to Stidham for getting the ball out on time and making it a catchable ball. But other than that, it was just kind of a, you know, it, it was, he was in the, he, he had a standard NFL performance. Um, I think what's most interesting to me about this game is we went back to what was getting us wins to begin with. Yeah, so as weird. we ran the ball 33 times, and we, guess what, dominated time of possession. Whereas those last couple games for the Broncos, we got away from that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I, I'm going to keep spewing the tinfoil conspiracy here, the tinfoil hat, that... There were things done that made it appear that Russ was the issue, and Russ may be an issue, but he is not the issue. I'm really wondering where the Broncos go from here because we have big decisions to make in the future. Obviously, we're going to move on from Russ. I don't know what that's going to look like or how it's going to happen, but we are moving on from Russ. As I mentioned, if we have to eat a dead cap it, that's eight players that we're going to have to cut or trade and two major players that we are going to have to ask to restructure along with three impact free agents. Mm -hmm. And as we look ahead one more year to that NFL offseason, we have a pretty big player coming up for free agency, and that would be PS2. Yeah. So are we going to dedicate ourselves whatever to it takes, whatever it takes, you have to keep Go, that man on your team. Even if you're going into a full on rebuild. Yes. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> you have to. So if I told you that we could do PS2 for Justin Fields and a third round pick, Nope. Not for me. I mean, not for me either. My, my preference <laughs> is we either take Brock Bowers or we take Michael Penix Jr. Which, by the way, Brock Bowers did today declare for the NFL draft because he's, only, he's yeah. only a junior, so he could have stayed at Georgia, but he did declare. Or he could have transferred. Or he could have transferred to Colorado. You know, that would have True. been fine with me. Yeah, could have that. <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, he didn't. I'm going to land myself on message board genius with that one. Yeah. But 
you know, I, I would rather take one of those two guys in the first round and let's just commit to a rebuild. And we try to trade, you know, Jerry Judy, get some draft capital. We try to trade Garrett Bowles, maybe get some draft capital. We're going to have to do that either way, right? Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to, okay, do you draft a quarterback in the first round and say this is our guy moving forward, similar to what the Arizona Cardinals did with them coming out and saying Kyler Murray is our guy, he is our franchise? Or do you take a player like a Brock Bowers who's going to be a game changer, who's probably not to get too far down the line because a lot can happen, but he could be the next Travis Kelsey do you get him in a Broncos uniform and start building from there? Right. Right. I mean, I, I get what, I get what you're saying, but even when your team is in a rebuild, you still need those leaders and those pieces on each side of the ball. And I think that PS2 is that guy. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. It's, Will PS2 sign, I guess, is another question because we're acting as though, you know, we completely control his rights. We don't. Right, right. You're right. Like He is a human being. He can make his own decisions. (laughs) Like, is he going to Carmelo Anthony us? He could. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what's important to him. If he, you know, wants to stick it out and see the rebuild through and candidly make a lot more money doing it, great. Or if he wants to go and get a Lombardi trophy... I, I don't think that's going to be here for the foreseeable future. Well, really and and kind of speaking of that too, I thought about this a little bit today where because of the way that this whole Russell Wilson business has been handled, particularly with that injury guarantee and all of that, does that put a negative light on ownership, the GM saying, um, oh, here's how, you know, we treated this guy or here's how they treated this guy. Am I going to be treated in kind when it comes to something like this later on down the road? You know, you read my mind on that. That was going to be a point I make is this could hurt us from a free agency perspective or negotiation perspective down the line Mm -hmm. because players, players remember this stuff and the players, it's a brotherhood. If you play in the NFL, you're part of a very rare fraternity. And one thing that helped the Broncos in the past was the Bolin ownership always treated people very, very well. They took care of their people. Mm-hmm. And that didn't matter whether you were, you know, Vaughn Miller, the star player, or you were the guest relations attendant at the top of Section 506. It didn't matter. They treated you well. Mm-hmm. I worry what this image is going to cast among us from a player's perspective and will players be willing to take that gamble to come here. If they see someone that candidly the franchise gave up their future for getting treated this way, it's going to be hard for them if they have a better offer elsewhere. Right. Or even if it's a similar, similar, yeah, similar offer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think that this has far reaching ramifications that maybe, you know, Sean Payton and George Payton were a little, uh, a little short sighted on. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And 
who knows? We'll see. Like, like I kind of mentioned before, there's the salary cap, cap gymnastics that we can do to try to circumvent the the salary cap a little bit. Um, but going back to going back to this football game, I mean, I, I feel like always this time of year, the the Broncos fans kind of start to go away. <laughs> if that makes if that makes any sense, where not as many people are as invested, especially when the team you know isn't in the playoff picture. But the 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 point was is leading up until about five thirty on Sunday, we were still in the playoff picture. We were just waiting for that Cincinnati Bengals and Chiefs game to end. And yeah, and the Bengals could have kept us alive, but they didn't. Yeah, they, but they didn't. Um, but so yeah, Broncos are officially eliminated from the AFC playoffs. Um, so you know, leading into next week, do do you think that a lot of the starters still play, um, or do you think that a lot of the guys potentially sit since it's kind of a, a nothing game, and we try to get other guys out there to get them some experience and get them get them some tape so that other teams can see them play. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, if I'm if I'm George Payton and I'm Sean Payton, I am trotting out every single person who could be traded for this game because mm-hmm. we got to get draft capital. So I'm, I'm trotting out, you know, some of those aforementioned guys, whether that's Garrett Bowles, Jerry Judy, I'm – if they're not seriously hurt, I'm having them play. Um, I think, you know, Javante Williams, he shouldn't, he shouldn't see the field. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I obviously you're going to start Jared Stidham. Yep. It is what it is. I don't think PS2 should see the field. Um, but someone like Justin Simmons, we, we love him here in Denver, but I think he is pretty good trade bait right now. He should mm-hmm. probably be out there. Mm-hmm. I, I want, every opportunity to showcase these guys so we can get as much of a return as possible. If I'm them, if I'm thinking about this purely from a business perspective, I'm trotting out the players that have some value and could increase their value. That's, that's a good way. That's a good way of thinking it as opposed to um, just resting them so that they don't get hurt. I mean, again, that is against the collective bargaining agreement. To, yep. to say that you're doing that. So <laughs> we learned that through this whole Russell Wilson saga. Uh, so, something that I did want to mention um, is I kind of thought that there may be some resentment that you would see from Russ during this game because obviously the camera's going to cut to him a couple of times. And it really did just show what a class act this dude is. He was still a captain for the game still went out there for the coin toss and all of that. And it was just a consummate teammate. Um, even through this very difficult thing that he's going through with the team. Yeah. I mean, even or with the, the with the front saw, office is what I, is how I should say. Yeah. Even before the game, you saw him out there signing autographs for fans, smiling. He He's a pro. Yeah. He's, he's a pro. And, you know, I think what's, sad about this whole situation other than you know the Broncos coming out looking very very bad in my opinion is that he he seems like a genuinely good dude and I think everyone from the top down wished this would have gone differently and wish this would have worked out better yeah um I think that's the hard part to see as a fan at least because I was stoked when we got Russell Wilson yeah I I remember I was living in the Bay Area at the time and that news broke on Twitter 
and I freaked out. Like this was this was Peyton Manning 2.0. We were getting a Super Bowl winning quarterback, still somewhat in their prime, coming to quarterback our Denver Broncos. This and was less of a gamble than the Peyton Manning signing was. Substantially less. And it just never worked out. And I think part of that, you know, was coaching hires. We went with Nathaniel Hackett, which was terrible. And then, you know, Sean Payton wanted his guys. He's an old school ball coach. And it it sucks that it didn't work out. It, it really does. Because I but think by all accounts, of- while he's a weird guy, he's a good guy. Yeah, where it, what it boils down to though is the numbers, and I mean he's going to end up making like 125 million for 11 wins in his time in Denver. Good for him. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> I ain't gonna blame the guy. I could take you know, take less than that, and I would be fine. <laughs> let, uh, let me ask you this: If your boss came up and offered you a million dollars to say do a mediocre job at your job, would you take it? Oh yeah. And is that your fault for taking it? Nope. Nope. That that's what you were offered. Yeah. That that's how I view it. So yeah. You know what? Good for him. Uh, but we will be previewing the Broncos versus Raiders coming up here. Uh it is another uh another game that will not matter for either team. But as Scotty L said, I think it will be interesting to see who is out there for both of those teams, who's putting game film out there, uh, because the NFL offseason is right around the corner. And there there's always a lot of moves, always a lot of trades. Uh, we got the draft that we're going to have to start prepping for here soon that comes up in April. Uh, it's crazy that, you know, we're two days into 2024. We're already looking uh, to the 2024 football season when this one isn't even over yet. God, it's great. Thank yeah. God. The, thank God football is just a year-round thing at this point. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Um, well, let's uh, uh, switch gears a little bit here to uh, to the Colorado Buffaloes, where really the only thing that is going on uh, right now are is the Coach Prime documentary airing on Amazon Prime. Um, episodes four and five have aired since we last spoke about the documentary. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of get get your thoughts on on both of these episodes. Um, just to just to kind of a timeline it here episodes four and five are coming off of the uh off of the csu game so it shows the oregon loss uh the usc loss the arizona state win and then the stanford loss yeah um we'll start with the oregon loss because we'll just go chronological um not a lot to say on that one you know, we we got whooped. Yeah, it, it, we were outclassed. We were outmanned. We were outgunned. It it happens. That's the landscape of college football, um, especially when we're in the NIL era of the haves and have-nots. And while we're becoming the haves, and we're getting more donations to fifty four thirty and to you know bus for life, our collectives, we're not able to match Phil Knight. We, we are not unable to match Uncle Phil. Um, Dan Lanning came out to prove a point in, like, we, like we've discussed, a classless way. Um, I think what was great about that episode was seeing the locker room after the game, or mm-hmm. at least in this part of the episode, where Bishop Thomas, our big defensive tackle, was pissed 
Mm -hmm. He was pissed after that game about the standards, the standard. We didn't play to our standard. We set the damn standard. And I, I like that mentality. Obviously, it didn't bleed through the rest of the year, which we all know. I'm curious to continue seeing how that develops, but I, I like having the guys in my locker room with that kind of mentality mm-hmm. of, you know, a loss just pisses you off. What were your thoughts on the Oregon game? Yeah, I mean, that that was really the only takeaway from it is I, I didn't hear that story. Obviously, we hear what Dion says, what uh, Travis and Shador say when they have their postgame pressers. So you don't you don't necessarily hear what is going on in the locker room. But to see a player react like that, it, it does show that that these dudes do have fight even though, um, you know, leading into that and then the first half of the USC game, it was like, oh boy, like we definitely are getting outclassed here by, you know, kind of the, you know, the top end programs of the Pac-12, excluding Washington, of course. Um, But, you know, showing that he is invigorated by that loss just shows why he is going to be a true leader in this locker room moving forward yeah absolutely um moving on to the usc game um this one this one still just hurts man they kind of glossed over this game a little bit where they made it where they made it seem like colorado never really had a chance yeah it was really weird choice by the editors because obviously we we were getting blown out in the in the first half, and then we chipped away at it really, really well. And I think one thing that stuck out to me in that episode was at one point they go to Coach Prime on the sideline, and obviously it was mic'd up, and he just goes, man, these guys aren't that good. Yeah. Like, he, he, he can evaluate talent, and he knows what a great football team is. We should have beat these guys. And I still, to this day, will contend that if we had Travis Hunter out there, we we do beat them. Mm. Um, I think that was big. I, I loved watching Travis coach Cormani. Yeah. I loved that because that just shows how much this kid loves the game and he, he just wants to win. And he's going to coach up his predecessor, not predecessor, uh, whatever. Uh, you guys know what I mean. His, <laughs> the second coming, he's going to coach him up and make sure that he is just as good, if not better. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I loved seeing Travis on the sideline. Um, I loved getting a little more insight into Cormani. Obviously, we all know about his lack of studying, lack of prep, and I think that he, you saw him kind of. I don't want to say address it, but own it a little bit of, yeah, I need to, I need to be doing things differently. And for anyone that was worried about Cormani potentially transferring, I think this episode should kind of put that, put your mind at ease because Cormani, I think recognizes that he needs coach prime and coach prime is going to make him the best possible defensive back and playing alongside Travis. You're going to get a ton of looks. Yeah. You're going to. Yeah, people aren't going to throw the ball on that side of the field, so they're going to throw at you, and you get to prove that you're a number one corner in your own right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was impactful. You know, 
I, I wish they had shown more of this game. Yeah. Because, like you said, it made it seem like we were never really in it when the reality was is that game was damn close up until that onside kick. Yeah. And they never even addressed that situation. Right. So. Yeah. They de- yeah, they definitely just moved that one quickly. Um, then the Arizona State game also. So it flips to episode five. And this one, this one was the shortest episode of the mm-hmm. four that have been, re- or of the five that all got released at only 38 minutes, but it had four football games or it has three football games in it. It had, it talked about the win against Arizona state, um, a road win, which, you know, that one was a lot closer than it should have been. But then later on in the season, you realize, oh no, or Arizona state's a good football team. They just started off really shitty. Um, then it goes, uh, and and it during that one, it kind of talks about how Travis is still injured, uh, but that he's going to be back soon, and that could boost the team's confidence and encourage them to keep going forward. Um, and then it goes to the Stanford game, where yeah, it sh- shows the Buffs get off to roll off to that twenty-nine to nothing lead at halftime, and then boy, oh Shit boy, the bed. yeah, Shit the bed. Um, the ASU game, you know, I thought that was. It, it kind of glossed over it as well. Yeah. But it was it was fun to watch that again and kind of see the back end of that. And you, it was our first true Automata appearance throughout this season, which was cool because Automata, Alejandro Mata, is just – he's kind of a different cat as most kickers are. And, you know, remembering his heroics that game was really cool and seeing Javon Antonio with those two big catches towards the end yeah. of the game on that game-winning drive. You know, I had almost forgot about those, so that was a fun little memory jog there. And then, obviously, Shador running up in front of the ASC student section, hitting his signature. That that was fun. It brought back, you know, fun memories from the season. And then, um, yeah, I think getting insight more into the Stanford game was the real impactful part of this this episode. Like you could see the players just sitting there saying, "Yeah, we got complacent," mm-hmm. admitting it, admitting they thought we could just cruise to the end, because we we broke down that game. It was a fast start. That game should have been a blowout. That yeah. that shouldn't have even been close. A lot of people turned that game off at halftime. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? The Buffs are up twenty nine nothing. They're not going to forfeit this lead to lowly Stanford, mm-hmm. who ended up. You know, they had, they had a couple Pac-12 wins. Technically, we finished bottom of the conference in terms of conference wins. Stanford wasn't terrible. They weren't good, but they weren't an autom- automatic win, as we proved. You know, I think we gave them a lot of confidence moving forward in the season. And it it was intriguing to see kind of the back end of what the players were saying after that game, what – you know, pundits were saying going into the game with Ariel Soto from uh, Nine News, who, by the way, is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of hers, and I think Coach Prime is too. Um, the lady with the short hair yeah. in the in the dog, I think she's great. But this, uh, this showed a lot about this team, and I think that we needed to get – we need to get mentally tougher. We're, we're not able to just roll in and expect wins. That's not who we are yet. Yeah. We're not there. And I don't think Prime is going to deal with that complacency as, as we're seeing now, as he's replaced 
the entire offensive line at this point. And as he's going out and recruiting over guys that he brought in last year, he, he's recruiting over the guys that he said were Louie. And I think this game was the start of that, mm-hmm. of we need better. We need a better mentality. Mm-hmm. We need a tougher mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest part of this episode. And then just as a fun little aside from this episode, I love Travis Hunter just going out and fishing with the old white dudes. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Like, um, yeah, that was, that's funny. Like that's, that's truly hilarious that I mean, these do that these dudes just just like adopted the number one recruit to come to Colorado in such a long time to go fishing with them. <laughs> Travis Hunter is just such a different cat. He's, He's just an such enigma, a different man. dude. Yeah, just but so yeah. As a coach, like if I'm an NFL GM or a coach right now, I'm sitting here like, yeah, I really want this guy. Like I don't have to worry about him off the field. He's just gonna go fishing. Mm-hmm. Like what? What he's gonna catch a small fish, right? He, he won't release one of his catches. Like, okay, yeah, there are plenty of bigger issues for an NFL general manager to address off the yeah. field. So, <laughs> I, I just I love this kid. I I'm I am a huge Travis Hunter guy. Yeah, just for everything he is and every and the kind of person he is. I I just think he's he's kind of like Von Miller, where it's just like. He's a quirky you're, dude. Like you're kind of weird, dude. <laughs> yeah, like Von Miller has a has a damn chicken farm, and right? It's like okay, you know what? They're they're just country boys, and that's who they are. They, they like they're what they like. They just, they just happen to be very very god gifted at football. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I love it. I love it. The uh, then the next part of the episode, I thought that this was really cool. It was when uh, we traveled to the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA, and it uh, kind of talked about um, the the co- the other coaches, the other black coaches that are on staff. That a lot came from Jackson State with Coach Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, other others came from elsewhere, but it just talking about how having you know that many on his staff is is unheard of in the college football realm. Um, and, and it's, it was kind of a moment of gratitude that the other coaches were sharing towards coach prime, um, talking about working under him and having, how he has been such a big blessing for them and their lives. And then he in turn said the same thing about each and every one of those guys. Yeah. Um, that was a really impactful moment in this episode because you start to understand the magnitude a little (laughs) bit of what, what is going on. And, you know, it's not to say that African-Americans have been shut out of coaching because they certainly haven't in the NCAA, but there's not the extent of what we're already seeing here and what we've seen at Colorado. You know, that's one thing that I think gets lost in the fray about this all the time with, with Colorado football is, you know, four out of our last five coaches have been African-American men mm-hmm. and that's become somewhat of a norm to us as Buffs fans, but in the landscape of college football, and this shows a greater issue with football as a whole, even when you look at the NFL, the opportunities haven't been there necessarily. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, Rick George and prior to him, Mike Bone, I don't want to say it seems like they've made a point to do it because I don't think they have. I think they've just hired whoever they felt was right for the job. Yeah. And I I think that's something that 
we need to see more of in college sports moving forward mm-hmm. and in just pro sports moving forward. But that was a really impactful moment because, you know, admittedly, you and I can't walk in those shoes. We don't know what that walk is like. Right. And seeing that gratitude and that excitement and that just genuine emotion from these coaches was really special. And, you know, I, I, I do want to take a moment here and shout out Rick George because he, he hired, you know, Mel Tucker. He hired, although Mel fucked him in the end, he hired Carl Terrell. He hired Coach Prime. Yeah. Like, that's three in a row. That was the, we are the first Power 5 program to do such a thing. In Boulder, Colorado, which is an incredibly, incredibly white place. Yeah. We're the first to do that. So hats off for just hiring whoever you feel is right for the job and coach prime with the media attention, with the talent he's bringing in with just everything about him. It's paid off in spades already. Right. But I think where that in this episode, that is that some of the cracks are starting to show because of that spotlight that was put on this young team. Um, like I think you're starting to see now that we have this look behind the scenes, the repercussions of that confidence start and then all of the media attention coming to the, to the guys that you, you, especially as this episode was coming to an end where it shows the loss to UCLA, those, those cracks were beginning to show of, you know, is it, is it, is it coach primes coaching style? Is it, is it because of that spotlight that got put on them early? You know, what, what, what was the ultimate thing that led to this team's downfall? Um, and, and I'm very, very excited to get to episode six. It's going to be the finale here um, because you're, you're starting to see uh, the regression of, of, of yeah. the team episode by episode. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting final episode. I think one thing that caught me, I, I don't want to say in a bad way, but I, I didn't love to see it was, a, I think it was Coach Hart, Andre Hart, mm-hmm. who was just almost overly confident at the start of this episode mm-hmm. to the point of braggadocious. Yeah. And we can't, we're not in a position to be able to do that yet where it's like, you know, we, ha- we haven't won shit. We're, we're not bill eligible. We haven't won six games yet. We got smacked by Oregon. We should have beat USC, but we didn't, we should have beat Stanford, but we didn't. We barely beat ASU. There, there's no reason to have this unfounded confidence to a certain extent, this level mm-hmm. of it. And I worry that that bled into the actual team. And it's candidly a little worrisome for me to see that coming from the staff as mm-hmm. a whole. If that and the was, co- and the co-head coach, yeah, where it's like you got to keep these guys hungry, motivated, and. You know, I don't think I, I don't think Saban or anyone on his staff is sitting there like, "We're coming, we're here, we're here," and it's like I expect that out of Coach Prime because it's Coach Prime. It's Deion Sanders. He has been that way throughout his entire life and his entire career, but he also had the talent to back that up. So he doesn't he he hasn't had to adjust like this. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas Coach Hart, who I think was in the NFL for like a cup of coffee, he was kind of a fringe guy. You know, he's had to fight and claw, it feels like, a little bit more for certain things. Although he's he's Prime's boy, so he's been with Prime every step of the way. Hart, I think, should be reminding these guys, we haven't earned it yet. Yeah. And that's what was concerning to me about that moment in the episode was like, I want my coaches to be reminding my players, we haven't accomplished the end goal yet. The end goal is the championship. The end goal is the... Pac-12 championship this year and then the national championship or the Big 12 championship next year and then the national championship. If we haven't accomplished that, it's a failure. Right, right. And we'll see, um, you know, if we're going to if we're going to get more of a glimpse into these cracks and what is going wrong with the team or what went wrong with the team in episode six, uh, that's going to be airing on uh, January 3rd. So uh, right on, man. I do. I do like this season a lot more than the first one, because season one was just all sunshine and rainbows because Jackson State was just kicking the shit out of everybody yeah. at the HBC level. So no, adver- with a without adversity, there's no story. Right. There, there just isn't. So it, it's good to see this. And, you know, it means a little bit more because it's our team, obviously, whereas Jackson yeah. State, like, we, we rooted for Jackson State, especially once we found out Coach Prime was coming to Boulder. But we we lived this. We lived and died with this every weekend. So it's it's really cool to see. And I, I love seeing this story because if we come out next year and we win 9, 10 games, mm-hmm. this is the foundation. Yeah. So that's what's really cool about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up for the evening? Uh, yeah, the Buffs men's basketball, since we last spoke, won again um, without Cody and without Tristan De Silva yet again. Doesn't matter. KJ Simpson. Doesn't matter. KJ, 34 points for KJ Simpson. Um, unbelievable game for the men. They they First 2-0 they and start. In conference play since 2015 for the Buffs. God, that that's sad to hear, but also great to hear because that means we have a very high ceiling uh, this year for the men and for the women. My girl Jalen Sherrod was the national player of the week. Yes, she deserved she it. She had 34 yeah. points. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the picture. It's been circulating out there. I, I don't know if our listeners have. I'll throw it up on our uh, Instagram here our Instagram story of Jalen Sherrod and KJ after KJ's 34 point game. Um, just vibing those two. Cause she was in the crowd. It, it's such a cool picture. And man, the women are now ranked uh, fifth in the current poll. And I believe the men got ranked in the twenties or they're just outside still for God knows what reason, but they're, they should be ranked. Um, man, this, these, this is a great year for both basketball. Both on the men's and women's side, I think as college football kind of winds down, we'll start picking up our coverage on, you know, men's and women's basketball at Colorado because it's just, it's too good. And the Pac-12 is going to be awesome. Right now, the men are the top ranked team in the Pac-12 in terms of the actual standings, not the AP or whatever polls. Um, With Arizona losing Mm -hmm. on the road at Stanford. Yeah. Yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> I mean, good for Stanford. Yeah. They, they dropped 100 on Arizona, but we take on uh, Arizona and Arizona State on the men's side this week. It's going to be interesting seeing 
hey, is Cody coming back? ESPN's reporting he'll be back for the game. I haven't seen it out of any actual reliable buff sources. Mm-hmm. If Cody's back, that's a huge win for us because we're going to need him. A, U of A is going to be pissed off after that loss to Stanford, and they're going to give us everything they got. I think, honestly, they may have been looking ahead a little bit to us because we have been one of the top teams in the pack this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I mean, and, and that happens a lot in basketball. You just kind of, you look past a couple of the games that you think are going to be easy wins, you know, especially as a player, I would say the coaches don't necessarily do that, but I, but I think that the players probably don't prep as well or don't, uh, you know, pay attention <laughs> to what the coaches are telling them about each individual team. They're just looking at what's next on the schedule. So. No, I would agree. And then uh, just one last thing to add since I, I'm pretty anti-Rockies. I don't know about you. I'm I'm pretty damn anti-Rockies here. Um, in Rockies news, I saw this, just throwing this out there to continue my point of boycott opening day. The Rockies are one of only four, four Major League Baseball teams that has not spent a single dollar in free agency. Boycott opening day, everybody. This was over 100 lost team and they're not doing anything to get better. Boycott opening day. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, everybody, thank you so much for giving us another listen on Out of Office Bros. We'll be out of office again on Friday. For immediate assistance, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. And please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and pretty, pretty please tell your friends and family. Best, the Out of Office Bros. Scobuffs, boycott opening day. Bye.